This is the Photography Podcast on Photography.ca, episode number 116, How to Get Uber Sharp Photos Using Focus Stacking, an interview with Michael Breitung. Hey there, photo lovers. How's it going? And welcome to the 116th photography podcast on photography.ca. My name is Marco. And as usual, we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. For today's show, we have an interview with a German landscape photographer, Michael Breitung, where we talk about focus stacking. But before we get into it, I always like to thank people for their comments on our last podcast, number 115, where we talked about uh, color spaces and monitor settings with uh, Joe Brady. I'd like to thank Dee Lavois, who left a comment and found the podcast useful and uh, directly in the blog is our favorite way to get the comments, photography.ca forward slash blog. All right, then let's just keep this intro really short and get right into the interview with Michael Breitung now. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome a really special guest. Uh, today's guest is Michael uh, Breitung, and he uh, lives near Nuremberg, Germany. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the concept of focus stacking, which some of you may have heard of and other people may not have heard of, but might be intrigued in. Michael is uh, really, really excellent at this technique, and uh, he's agreed to uh, talk about it today. So uh, thank you very much for doing this, and uh, welcome to the podcast, Michael. Yeah, hello, Marco. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Okay, let's just get right into it then. You know, what is focus stacking? If someone's never heard about it, how would you go about explaining it? With focus stacking, you basically, you you focus, for example, to a far element in a scene, take a shot, and then you set the focus to a nearer element, take another shot. So in this example, you would have two shots focused to different uh, objects and later and post-processing you can layer those two images together to get a uh, greater depth of field in your image. Okay so again just for clarity what we're talking about is basically taking multiple images of the same scene during each of those images we're going to focus at a different part of the scene then later in um, in software usually Photoshop we will blend them all together. Why do we do this Michael and why did you start doing this? Yeah, well, when, when I first uh, started with photography, first thing I learned is if you want a larger depth of field in your image, so the part where the image is acceptably sharp, you just can uh, make a smaller aperture or set a smaller aperture. And I did this in the beginning and took photos. I, usually I went down to purchase like F19 or F22 if I needed large depth of field. But what I recognized was that the overall sharpness of the image um, was getting lower then. So uh, then I did some searching on the internet and learned about diffraction. And this tells that if you do a purchase which are very small, the overall sharpness may degrade in the image and from then on I tried to stay with a purchase like f11 or f9.5 to to keep this diffraction at bay but the problem then was um, the depth of field because with those middle aperture sometimes the depth of field wasn't enough for example if I have very near for foreground objects like one or two feet away and I have a horizon which is many miles away and I want everything sharp in between from foreground to background, uh, then focusing at one point and having this uh, depth of field 
wasn't enough. So I learned about uh, focus stacking and started doing multiple shots where I focused to the foreground, to the background, and maybe also to the middle ground to get everything sharp in the image. Very cool, very cool. And uh, actually, this technique has been uh, around for a little while. I actually came into contact with Michael a few years ago when um, you know he posted an image on our forum, which uh, won the admin's choice of the month, which was a picture of sunflowers that was focus stacked. And uh, the sharpness from foreground to background was just very, very, very awesome. And uh, now I'm seeing more people are using this technique, but uh, very few people are getting the absolute pristine, clean results that Michael is getting, uh, quite possibly because his uh, because of his knowledge in uh, post-processing as well, which we'll talk about, but uh, the results are simply uh, outstanding. So like at the end of the day, again, uh, just to talk about diffraction for a second for those listeners that might not uh, be familiar with it. You know, when we first start learning about photography, we always learn that, you know, the smaller the aperture, the more depth of field you're going to get from foreground to background. But there is a phenomenon, an optical phenomenon called diffraction, and we're not going to get into the optics or physics about it. You'll just have to trust us on this. But um, after a certain aperture on your lens, and every lens will differ, but as you get closer to the smallest apertures, your images actually become less sharp. So you may have more depth of field actually so you might actually you know get more sort of in pseudo focus but when you inspect the sharpness of images taken at f22 f32 etc on a 35 millimeter camera uh, you rapidly encounter this phenomenon called diffraction so in order to avoid this uh, Michael is doing focus stacking and, and he's doing an excellent job at it just wanted to explain that to our uh, listeners who, who may never have heard of this concept so let's just get right into this quickly. How do we do it simply? How do we, I'm, I'm assuming you use Photoshop, so how would we focus stack in Photoshop the simple way? So for this example, we're just saying I have uh, two photos taken at different focal uh, focus, and I'll just uh, load them into separate layers into to one file in Photoshop. So for example, I have the near focus on the on the lower layer and the far focus on the second layer above this. And what I do, I like to do this uh, focus stacking manually. But before I start with this, um, I first have a close look at, at the photo to see if they overlay exactly because changing uh, the focus will also slightly um, change uh, or slightly zoom the lens so they might not overlap exactly. So the first step is to, to use the uh, auto align layers in Photoshop. That's a, a function you'll find there. And this makes sure that both images are aligned exactly. And then I will uh, go to the second layer, in this case, in this example, the four layer, and put a mask on it. And I put a black mask on it. This will hide the layer. And then I go at 100%, look close at the image, use a white brush and, and paint in the sharp parts of this layer again. So this is a manual process in contrast to, for example, auto stacking, which you could also do in, focus, in Photoshop with also this align layers. I think there's a checkbox for focus stacking, but I personally, I like to have the full control. I don't want to double check then later on what the algorithm of Photoshop did. I just want right from the start do it like I see it. 
Right. Because at the end of the day, Photoshop has no idea, you know, what your eye wants to see sharp in the image. It's taking a, a guess, a good and educated guess, but certainly it doesn't know what areas you want sharp. So I'm assuming that this is why you are doing um, the masking by yourself. Exactly. That's why. And I might also add there are also other software out there. For example, Helicon Focus. Uh, this is used by some other photographers I know, and it's a little better than Photoshop at the stacking. But again, at the end of the day, you, you have to take a close look yourself and see where the software maybe did a wrong guess or something. Yeah, awesome. And I, I, I totally agree with you. You know, um, it's a similar concept just in, in principle. It's a similar concept to autofocus, right? We, you know, beginners in photography will just use autofocus and just naturally assume that the camera knows what areas that they want in focus, which is, of course, false. The camera, the, the camera can often make mistakes, just like the software can often make mistakes. So the most exacting result is, I suspect, the way you are doing it is manually revealing uh, more areas that are sharp and then blending them all together. Yes, that's what I do. Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, how many frames you typically use for a particular image. So now we're getting into, you know, people that have been doing it for a while. Uh, we just talked about using two frames, but certainly you can use three, fra three frames, four frames. How many do you find is sufficient for the average scenes that you like to photograph? Most of the time I'm using something like two or three uh, focused shots. Uh, sometimes I even go to four or five, which is more work in the end. But it also depends on if I'm shooting, for example, horizontal or vertically. If I'm shooting horizontal image, uh, most of the time the foreground elements aren't so near to the camera as if I do a vertical frame where looking with a wide angle lens, I'm looking right downward and have uh, the objects very close. There I might need uh, more focused shots, but most of the time it's really, it's just two or three which I blend when I'm using uh, apertures around f11 or f9.5. So it's really not so much more work. And if you have the time, I'm always thinking, why not take the additional focus shots? Yeah, this makes sure that in the end, when I'm at home at the PC, I have enough material to work with. Sure, because, you know, um, you travel to many different countries, like many other photographers, and, you know, after you've spent several thousand dollars getting to your location, the last thing you want is to come home and realize, oh, I wish those corners would have been a little sharper. So it sounds like you're always going through the extra steps to make sure that all parts of your images are sharp, if, if you have focus stacking in mind for those images. Yes, especially if the location is far away and the sunset is very spectacular, and I, I rather take a few more shots, yeah. In the end, I can decide if I use them all or just a few of them, but it's better to have them. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. Uh, just so people know, you're definitely going to want to check out the show notes uh, to this episode. We're going to have uh, Michael's imagery in the show notes, as well as, you know, uh, comparisons, a focus stacked image versus non-focus stacked images. So um, I highly recommend uh, you check out the show notes. Let's move on. 
Let's talk a little bit about movement and how movement might screw up the image. Let's talk about movement. I, I won't even talk further about it. Let's talk about the problems of movement uh, when we're doing focus stacking and why um, we try to avoid really scenes with a lot of movement. Yeah, movement can be a real pain when it comes <laughs> to post-processing and trying to, to piece the, the images together. For example, if you if you have foreground, you might have flowers there and a little gust of wind moves them around and they're never still. And if you then take multiple focus shots and at the end in focus in Photoshop, you want to uh, layer them, they won't align exactly at the different pieces or different parts, the flowers uh, to the right in the one shot and to the left in the other. And this is really hard to stack. So it's a lot of detail work. It can be done. You can do a little bit cloning. And also for my sunflower shots, I needed to do a bit. But the best thing is to, to try to avoid movement at all. For example, try to shoot when there's not much wind or if there's wind, you might have to to increase the ISO a bit to get shorter uh, exposure times and to reduce the movement. For sure, makes perfect sense. Um, you know, obviously, you know, buildings are going to be easier than flowers, but uh, you know, flowers are still exciting. That's why we do this with flowers too. But um, you know, like you said, wait for a day with little or no wind, if possible, and probably shoot the exposures very quickly. You know, one one to the next. If there's three exposures, I'm assuming you're going to shoot them as fast as possible, just to avoid a gust of wind coming. Yeah, with time and practice, this focus taking, you can do this quite automatic. Yeah, you you know your lens, you know the signs on the lens, and you can just uh, take a shot, turn turn the focus wheel a bit, take another one, turn it a bit again, and take the last shot. This can be very quick. For sure, for sure. You actually mentioned the uh, ISO about uh, a minute ago. Let's talk about that for a second. I would assume that you're going to be working at extremely low ISOs. Could you... Could you talk about that? Yeah, that's right. I, I tried to avoid increasing the, the ISO because noise creeps in and I want a high quality result. So usually I stay with 100 if, it, if it's possible. But sometimes uh, if I have movement, if I have grasses or flowers in the foreground and I, I have to avoid movement, then I might increase the ISO. And First, uh, I have my um, my range of approaches I, I like to set with my shots. It's usually between f8 and a maximum f13. This is where where I can vary or where I can change the, the aperture. But if I'm at the, the edges, for example, if I'm already at f8 and I'm still not at a short enough exposure, then I might increase the ISO. For example, use ISO 200. If it's not enough, I might use ISO 400 to get to a short enough exposure. But I try to avoid going higher than that. Maximum might be ISO 800, but I'm not feeling comfortable with it already. Right, because there's already uh, at ISO 800, there might be noise in the shadows already, possibly? Yes, that's possible. Okay. Even with a full frame, I, I'm shooting a Canon Mark II, but already at a, ISO 800, this might not be optimum. You know, I could uh, attest to this as well. Some shots, uh, I also have a full frame camera. I have the D700 uh, uh, from Nikon. And uh, although it's an excellent camera, once you get into 800, sometimes you can see noise in the shadows. So just for a little extra bit of knowledge for people about high ISOs. 
lastly, or almost lastly, let's talk about uh, how this technique um, goes head-to-head -head against um, the tilt-shift lens. Many photographers are using a tilt-shift lens as well to get more depth of field um, out of their images. So they, they might not use focus stacking, they would use uh, this tilt-shift lens. I was wondering if you had any experience with the lens or if you could just talk about the tilt-shift lens with regard to you know focus stacking. Yeah. I, I don't have a tilt shift lens myself. It's a little bit too expensive, but I'd really love to have one because, yeah, obviously, since you you can tilt the the lens a bit, and by this you you can um, also the focal plane will tilt into the image, and you get a larger depth of field, a much larger depth of field from very near elements to to the horizon, and by this you don't need focus stacking anymore then and it's always better to get everything right in one shot but for me yeah for now focus stacking is a it's the compromise i use it to get an, a similar result in terms of sharpness but yeah in the future i'd like to do the upgrade sometime <laughs> sure i'm also going to assume of course that you know if there is movement then the tilt shift lens is the best way to go because you are taking everything in one frame that way there is nothing misaligned from frame to frame yeah that's that's just great if you can do this in one frame yeah always better I'm going to actually do a bit of research for my own curiosity you know which one actually gives the sharpest result I, you know, I, I have some experience with the tilt shift lens and just a bit of experience with focus stacking, but theoretically speaking, I, I'm from what I'm reading, I think focus stacking might actually get you a sharper result head to head if you are going for the ultimate result. Again, you could set the focus to different areas of the scene, and if you're a good uh, blender, um, I think focus stacking might actually win the match, but uh, I'm not going to know until I do more tests, so um, stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to find some, some information about that, because I'm, I'm always curious to know what is the best way. Obviously, if it's a difference between 1% and 2%, maybe we're not talking a big thing, but if there is a 5 to 10% difference, it would be interesting to know that, so I, I'm actually going to do a little bit more research. Research and I'll, I'll share my results uh, when I get that research. Yeah, this will be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, before I forget, um, if people are interested in a really awesome workflow, uh, Michael has a just a fantastic tutorial where he talked about an image that he made called uh, the Bloody Causeway, which is an image he took in Ireland. That image is also going to be in the show notes. That image is tack sharp from the very edge of the corners all the way to the background and uh, Michael spent two and a half hours processing uh, this particular image so if people are interested in what it takes to get the the cleanest image possible where you know a freak like me might stand three inches in front of a big print just to to be in awe of the of the sharpness I can highly recommend uh, this tutorial that Michael created he created it almost in real time so you could see that for some of these images it may take you know two to three hours of work on one single image in order to get the cleanest result but uh, if people are interested in this result, I can uh, definitely uh, recommend this tutorial and the link uh, will be in the show notes. Is there anything else you would like to add, Michael, uh, before we let you go? Yeah, maybe one thing. Sure. Well, 
what I find, it's always important to do your own tests. So even if you're hearing now, you should do focus stacking and F11 is a good aperture, always do your own tests, have a shot at F22, have another one at F11 and compare the results. You always have to, to see this for yourself and really see if it's for you. So if, if the additional work you need to do, if it's um, needed for, for what you're doing with the image, if you're not printing large, maybe you won't need it at all. But if you're printing large, maybe that's the right thing for you. Actually, I have just one or two more things I'll, I'll pick with you before we go. You know, how do you print your images? Are you printing them at home? How large are you printing your own images? Yeah, um, at home I just have a small printer. Well, I'm just doing little prints to, to see it printed at um, uh, in small. But when I get prints, I usually I'm working together with some... Um, printing yeah, companies who do the prints for me and um, I sometimes I sell prints which are like 40 or 50 inch on canvas or 30 inch on on fine art paper and for for that sh such big prints it, it really has to be sharp and has to have much detail and I also have some hanging at home here <laughs> oh nice 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 and when you stand in front of them do you inspect all the details are you still happy with them <laughs> Uh, yes, for some of the older images, like I said, I was using like F19 or F22. I'm not so happy anymore, but for the new image, I, I really am, yes. Awesome, good to know. I would also suggest that a good thing for people to test would be to see where uh, diffraction comes in on their own lenses. I'd be willing to bet that the vast majority of our of our listeners have never tested their lens for diffraction. And, um, you know, a simple test might just be uh, a newspaper, you know, just, you know, put your camera on a tripod and try all the different apertures focusing on the, on the newspaper and, and see what that newspaper shot, focus on the text exactly, and then compare the text at, you know, F8 and F11 versus F22 and F32. Uh, might also be a really good thing uh, for people to do just to gauge the level of sharpness of their own lens. Might that be a good test? Do you have another one for testing diffraction? Yeah, that's for sure. Having your camera on a tripod and shooting something like, for example, as you said, a newspaper, I think this is a good test and really look at it at 100% and compare it. That's a good test, I think, yeah. Cool. So finally, if people want to find out more about you, Michael, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, I have a homepage, um, which we'll put in the show notes, I hope. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, www.mebright-photo.com and I, I should spell the first part, it's m-i-b-r-e-i-t-photo.com and there you'll find everything, my pictures, uh, links to my other networks like Flickr or 500pix and also there's a blog with some tutorials from time to time, so you should check this out, yeah. Awesome. Uh, just so people don't get confused, uh, you said me bright minus photo. We usually say me bright dash photo or me bright oh, yeah. hyphen photo, just so people don't actually put in the minus word. Uh, okay. <laughs> small thing, just in case people are, you know, going to it right, right as they listen. But in the show notes, it will be uh, spelled correctly, of course. Thank you so much for doing this, Michael. Like I said uh, to people, uh, some of Michael's imagery are going to be there. A link to Michael's tutorial will also be there. And, um, you know, links to Michael's work will also, of course, be there. Thank you so much for doing this, Michael. Really appreciate it. And um, hope we're able to maybe do another podcast at some point in the future. Yeah, it would be great. Thanks so much, Michael.
And I'd like to thank Michael Breitung one last time for sharing that really useful information with us. I hope people practice this technique because, you know, if you have a graphics program, it's free to try, right? So, you know, go ahead and do your own tests and see what type of uh, sharpness you can get. And if you are looking for the ultimate sharpness and you're looking for a workflow that's going to yield you extremely high quality results time and time again, I do recommend uh, Michael's start to finish tutorial. I should say straight up that it's an advanced tutorial and you're going to need to be familiar with a channel and masking and adjustment layers and all that good stuff in order to get the most of it. But if you're not familiar with those concepts and still want to know what a super high quality workflow looks like, again, I do recommend that video. And then it just gives you something to shoot for later on. I should say it's not a free video. It's $17 or so, but it's well worth the money. Uh, Michael goes through focus stacking, but he goes through a lot of other concepts as well in order to get what he thinks is uh, the perfect rendition of the bloody causeway photo in the show notes. And so I definitely recommend his tutorial, but just be aware of those caveats. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, the assignments just went up for this month, and our regular assignment is wet or rain, and our level two assignment is uh, dramatic angles. So I do encourage you to participate. If you're already a member of our forum, thank you. I look forward to uh, seeing your images. And if you're just a lurker, I encourage you to join. We're a totally friendly bunch, and we, we just love to share what we know. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And I hope you will take some of the advice uh, Michael has given on how to focus stack and get out out there and just keep on shooting. Bye for now, everyone.